Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, February 5th, 2018. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio, Beantown Athletics, Boston's go-to destination for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownathletics.com. Today's show is presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using my promo code PICK. That's P-I-C. Today's show is also presented by the new Sports Me app. Sports Me, not you, me. Sports Me is a new app for sports fans made by sports fans. And you're going to love it because everybody's got a hot take these days. And everybody certainly has a take on Super Bowl 52, the Eagles. That's right, the Philadelphia Eagles, a Super Bowl champions. I will react to all of that on this very show. But you can give your hot take on Super Bowl 52 by downloading the Sports Me app. All you do is download the app, record a 30-second video with your hot take. You record the video on your phone. You create battles with other people. You can give points to other people. People can give points to you. The goal is to win your battle, okay? So record the video, download the app, and start talking smack right now. Again, it's the Sports Me app, and it is available in the app store, Sports Me. So, with that said, welcome to the show on this Monday, February 5th, a day after Super Bowl 52 in Minnesota, and I'm not in a very good mood, uh, as you probably know, because the New England Patriots, they lost Super Bowl 52. Uh, The game did not go down as I had envisioned it, And uh, I told you on Thursday that I was taking the Patriots as a four-point favorite. I told you the final score would be Patriots 27, Eagles 21. That's not the way it went down. The Eagles win the game. The score 41-33. to Nick Foles is your Super Bowl MVP. That's right, the backup quarterback for the Eagles, Nick Foles, is your Super Bowl MVP. And uh, you got to tip your cap to him. You have to because he had a big day in the NFC Championship. He had an even bigger day in the Super Bowl. And uh, how can you not tip your cap to Nick Foles and the Philadelphia Eagles for scoring 41 points? I mean, you're looking at this game going Tom Brady and the numbers that he put up. 505 pass yards for Tom Brady. Three touchdowns for Tom Brady. Two of them going to Gronk. And zero interceptions. Obviously, the Brady fumble at the end, when you're looking at a potential two-minute drill for Brady and the Patriots in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, you know, at that point, I still felt confident that the Patriots are going to win the game, and that Brady was going to drive him down. You know, that fumble sack, it, it you know, that was really the, the one blemish there on, on Brady's night. But other than that, I mean, 505 pass yards, 28 of 48, three touchdown passes, and no interceptions. Tom Brady had a great night. And I have a tough time putting this game on the Patriots offense. Certainly that fumble at the end was huge. But uh, I I can only criticize this Patriots offense so much. When you put up those numbers, 505 pass yards, think about that for a minute, and three touchdowns. I have a tough time criticizing the Patriots offense. So as we really dig into this game, before we dig into the game, what do you do? You know, I come in here today, I'm not in a very good mood. And, um, you know, I had to run through a couple of highlights 
and you know, go to NFL.com, read the box score again, look at a couple things just to refresh my memory on a couple big plays. But for the most part, there are a lot of things in this game that kept you up at night last night if you're a Patriots fan like myself. And and when I come in and I go through the bullet points as to what I'm going to talk about today and, and what is the top storyline or what are the top three, four, five storylines in this game that you don't really need to go back and look at the highlights in order to discuss the major storylines, right? What are they? And when you when you put those down on paper and you 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 put together the bullet points and you number them one through three or one through five, however many you have, number one on the list for me, the biggest thing, and again, tip of the cap to Nick Foles, tip of the cap to the Philadelphia Eagles, when you score 41 points in a Super Bowl, and, you know, if you're Nick Foles and you have the type of game you had in the NFC Championship and you have this type of game now, obviously he's earned himself a starting quarterback job next season. Is that going to be in Philly? I don't think so. And and I'll, I'll get to some of the quotes that are already coming out of Philadelphia's locker room and coming out of their coach's mouth. Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson had a, had a great night for himself last night in Minnesota in Super Bowl 52. But, uh... You know, he could have waited a little bit before talking about moving on to Carson Wentz. Even though we all know they're going to move on to Carson Wentz, he didn't necessarily have to answer those questions last night, but he did. So we're already hearing that it is obviously official. They are going to move on from Nick Foles next season. The question is, what will Nick Foles want to do? If I were Nick Foles, I would not want to be a backup. He's got one more year left on his contract. So I assume Foles is going to get traded, that Philly's going to take advantage of some of the trade value they have with Foles. But, um, you know, there's no denying what Foles did. So tip of the cap first and foremost. But from a Patriots perspective, and that is what I do, from a Patriots perspective, number one today, and everybody's talking about it. Everybody wants to know, where was Malcolm Butler? Because, and that's 1A. Number one on my list, the Patriots lost this game Because they could not make the big defensive plays. They couldn't. They could not make the big defensive plays. And I told you on Thursday what I thought the difference was going to be in this one. I thought the difference would be the Patriots' offensive line. You know, could they protect Tom Brady? And while they didn't do a good job of that, when the Patriots got the ball back with, what, two minutes and 20 seconds left in the fourth quarter, down five points, you were looking for some protection. You were looking for Brady to lead the charge. The protection was not good in that play in which they got in and they forced the fumble. So, I, I guess that really, I mean, you can make the case that, that that protection there, or lack of protection, ended up being the ultimate difference maker because we're so used to Brady leading him down the field and driving on a, on a possession like that and winning that game and scoring a touchdown and winning that game, which they could have done if there was better protection. So maybe you could say, well, Danny, you know what? You were right with the protection up front for Brady, and that ended up being a difference maker late in the fourth quarter because I don't know if whatever, they ran out of gas or or whatever it was, or Philly put their foot on the gas, and they had their foot on the gas all night long, uh, offensively speaking. But uh, maybe defensively, that's the time they did it. You, You could make the case, you know what? I was right with my assessment of the Patriots' offensive line, and that that was going to be the biggest difference maker. Could they give Brady enough time in the pocket to make all the big plays for the entire game? But, again, going back to the type of night Brady had, the Patriots scored 33 points. 
When you score 33 points in a Super Bowl, your quarterback throws zero interceptions and throws for 500-plus yards, you should win that game. You should. So number one on my list, the Patriots lost this game because they could not make the big defensive plays from beginning to end. Simple things. Tackling. I mean, there were moments in which LeGarrette Blunt early in this game was dancing around, and I honestly thought the Patriots' defense was suffering from flu-like symptoms. You know, everybody's just standing upright. It it just didn't have a good feel. You know, you get into third-down situations. You can't make the big tackle. Um, It was a tough night for the Patriots defensively, and not only with the on-field personnel. Again, we'll get back into that with Malcolm Butler in a second. But also, I thought, with the game plan. You know, you look back at the Jacksonville game in the AFC Championship, and we talked about this. What was the biggest difference in that second half against Jacksonville? The the Patriots made halftime adjustments, and they gave Blake Bortles a different look, right? Because in the second half, the Patriots started sending a couple extra guys on blitzes. They got creative with their defensive scheme. They dialed up a couple things where they would have a cornerback blitz coming in from the slot, where they would have a safety blitz. Patrick Chung would come in and try to get to the quarterback. They would send a couple linebackers up in an A-gap blitz. Like, they would do those things. And the Patriots, not only in that game against Jacksonville in the AFC Championship, but historically, historically, and it's not just the Patriots, it's the entire league. When you can get creative, and you don't have to do it all game long, and if you do it all game long, you're probably going to get toasted, so you can't, you really can't do it all game long, but there needs to be moments, especially in the second half, when you don't show it at all in the first half, the Patriots should have come out in the second half, and they should have tried to put some pressure on Nick Foles, and they didn't, you know, for most of the night, the Patriots, what were they, rushing for? And it was nothing crazy. They weren't showing extra guys. They weren't bringing extra guys. And they especially didn't get creative at all whatsoever with any type of cornerback or safety blitz. And and so the creativity there from a defensive perspective with Matt Patricia and what he was thinking, I don't know. I don't know. Nick Foles had a clean game for himself. There were a couple moments where maybe it looked like James Harrison was going to get in and did get in and Foles ended up getting the ball off. But you could not, to me, you could not have a defensive game plan where you were going to rely on James Harrison just beating one-on-one coverage all night, getting to the quarterback. You needed to send a couple more guys. And if you didn't do it in the first half, fine. But but show it in the second half and, and, and get that creative defensive scheme going in the second half. Right? And the Patriots didn't do it. And I was really screaming at the TV all night. For somebody to come in and get something creative going and put some pressure on Foles. Again, I tipped the captain, Nick Foles, but he had a clean night. You know, he didn't get sacked once. He was close to getting sacked maybe twice in this game, but that's not enough. That's not enough. So we could talk about personnel all we want, but just beginning from a game plan perspective, I didn't agree with whatever they had dialed up. It just didn't make much sense to me. You needed to do something to get into Foles' head, to rattle him a little bit, to get them thinking, and put Philly in a situation where maybe they were going to change their offense in the second half to where maybe they would think, you know what, they're doing some things to us now. They've changed it up. We just need to hold on and run the clock out. Well, Philly, the Eagles didn't do that. They didn't do that. And they played aggressive all night. 
on offense. And it worked out for them. But but sticking with the Patriots defense, I thought the game plan, you know, not trying to do some creative stuff to get the falls was a big letdown for me. It was a major letdown for me. If you're not going to do it in the first half, fine. But dial it up in the second half a little bit. Even a little bit. They didn't even do it a little bit. And I just didn't think they made it very difficult on Nick Foles last night. I, I didn't think so. I didn't think they made it difficult for him at all. And um, hey, he put up 41. He put up 41 points on him. And so you get no sacks. You let Foles play a clean game. And you don't, you didn't really confuse him at all whatsoever. The only thing maybe Foles was confused about is Malcolm Butler wasn't on the field. But I think they ate that up. I think Philly ate that up. I think Foles loved seeing that. He might have been confused by it, but didn't. it wasn't any type of confusion that hurt him. It was confusion that helped him. And that brings me to 1A. Number one on the list is Patriots lost the game because they could not make the big defensive plays. Couldn't make the tackles. Um, they couldn't get to the quarterback. Part of that's the game plan. The other part of it is coaching decisions. You know, the personnel. And wh- that brings me to 1A. Where was Malcolm Butler in this game? Well, he was on the sideline. He had the helmet on. He had the uniform on. Malcolm Butler was benched for the entire game. Except for one special team snap on a punt return in the second quarter. Which, by the way, I didn't know about until this morning. I didn't know th- about this till this morning. And, and oh, oh, yeah, by the way, there was only one punt in this game. And it was the Eagles. They punted. It was a punt return. And Malcolm Butler apparently was on the field for that. That was the one time Butler was on the field. So we can't say he didn't play at all. He just didn't play on defense. He only played one special team snap, and it was a punt return. Now, if there were multiple punts, would Butler have been out there? Maybe. But I think the fact that he's out there on a punt return, that tells me that it wasn't an illness that kept him off the field because if Butler was ill and and he and he couldn't play, or at least the team didn't think he was 100%. Why would you throw him out there at all? Why would you waste the player on a punt return to to block for who was it? Amendola? Whoever it was. Why would you do that? That doesn't make sense. Aren't you trying to be the best that you can be in all phases of the game? If you think a guy is too sick to play, you don't play him at all. Patriots wouldn't play him at all. But you threw him out there on a punt return. And he didn't take pot in any defensive snaps in this game. So, it leads us all to the question, what the fuck did Malcolm Butler do to deserve to get benched for the entire game? For the entire game. And there's rumors, and you're going to hear more rumors, right? What, cur- somebody was tweeting earlier, curfew, got caught with weed. I mean, you know, if he missed his curfew, if he was... Getting, you know, getting a little rowdy with partying. I mean, would you be surprised? It wouldn't be the first time a player at the Super Bowl playing in the game has got in trouble like that. Uh, and it won't be the last. So I guess I wouldn't be shocked. But, you know, let's let's keep in mind where some of these rumors are coming from. Like, the, that rumor that's out there today is co- somebody tweeted out, oh, it's a family friend who knows law enforcement. I mean, Come on, do you know how many family friends that I trust that have tried to tell me that so-and-so is at Logan Airport and he might be signing with a Boston-based team? Like, do you know how many times I've received that text? Do you know how many times I've received that text from Boston cops? Like, some a good amount of my friends are Boston police officers. You know how many times I get texts from them trying to give scoop? Like, oh, this guy's at Logan. Oh, this guy told me this guy. Oh, I trust this person. 
Yeah, there are people that I trust that tell me some things, <laughs> some rumors, some crazy stuff that are not true. So let's take a look at where these rumors are coming from before we believe them to be facts. But, I mean, here's the deal. At the end of the day, Butler must have done something. Malcolm Butler must have done something, right? Bill Belichick calls it a football decision. I call that bullshit. That's not a football decision. How is it a football decision to keep Malcolm Butler off the field? How? How is it a football decision? I mean, the only, what I was thinking during the game, the only thing that I could think of that would make it a football decision is that Malcolm Butler was so sick at the beginning of the week where he couldn't necessarily, uh, you know, through through the middle of the week to the end of the week, he wasn't good enough to be a full participant at at practice somehow or uh, or maybe miss the meeting I, to the point where they said, you know what, he's missed too much time. We have other guys who have spent all week on this game plan. We feel more comfortable with them. Even at that point, I'd be like, do you really trust some of the guys that you had out there with Malcolm Butler? Right? Uh, so, I mean, to me... Calling this a football decision is insulting our intelligence. Now, Belichick doesn't care if he insults our intelligence or not. You know how he is with injury report stuff, with guys being sidelined or put on the bench. Any type of decision that they make, he's going to be as generic as possible when describing why. He's not going to answer any questions. He had another conference call today. Again, called it a football decision. Um... But this wasn't a football decision. I mean, anybody with a brain knows that Malcolm Butler must have done something. And you know what? I believe in the Patriot way. I tell you that all the time. And I tell you all the time that when Belichick punishes somebody for something, there's there's a reason for it. And, And the reason goes beyond just what that player did. You know, the reason the punishments are put in place from Belichick's end is because there is a system. And the way he's treated this team and this organization and every single player that's walked through those doors is, well, you're a football player and you're going to be treated as such. And because he treats everybody in a similar fashion, that you're no better than this guy, you're no better than anybody else in this organization, the re- you know, he does that. And it's a reason why the Patriots are so successful. You know, there's a reason why we call it the Patriot way, because it works. And I tell you that all the time. I believe it works. But in this situation, there had to have been a way where you can still bench Malcolm Butler, maybe for the first quarter or the first half, and put him back in in the second half. Like, you can live and die by the Patriot way and still have put Malcolm Butler in the second half of this game. You needed stops in the second half just as much as you needed him in the first half. And don't tell me that Malcolm Butler couldn't have made a big tackle in a big spot. Don't tell me he couldn't have done that. Even if he was playing at 80% with flu-like symptoms. Don't tell me he couldn't have made a big tackle in a big spot. And there were many times in this game where that's all the Patriots needed was a big tackle in a big spot. Right? And um, or maybe something as simple as I just talked about, creating some type of... Uh, confusion with a blitz. You know, Malcolm Butler could have been covering a slot receiver or anybody in the slot. And instead of sticking with the man-to-man coverage, you know, pressing up front, he could have busted in on a blitz. 
And maybe he forces a fumble. You know, just one little thing like that to change the game. And we're talking about a Patriots victory. So, I, I get it. Belichick wants to run this thing a certain way. I get it that the Patriot way works. It's a real thing. Treating these guys like nobody is better than anybody else. Treating it like a football team, and everybody is a football player on this football team. And if you do something stupid, you're going to be punished for it. Malcolm Butler did something stupid. I don't know what that is. I don't. But whatever it turns out to be, and I'm sure we're going to find out. I'm sure we're going to find out. But I'll wait till somebody like an Adam Schefter reports it, right? Um, Whatever it is, then... I can almost guarantee you that I will sit back, look at that, and go, you know what? The way Belichick handles business, it works. It's a reason why this organization's been so successful. You know, close to the last 20 years, I'm okay with them benching Butler in this game, but not for the entire game. You cannot sit Malcolm Butler for the whole game. You want to bench him for the first half? Again, I just told you, I'd understand it, because he obviously did something. This is not a football decision. He did something, and you want to bench him for that something that he did? Fine. But when you hit halftime, and Justin Timberlake comes out, he gives you a half hour to, to game plan for the second half, and by the way, I didn't think the Justin Timberlake performance was all that good. I didn't. I didn't. And maybe that's because I have higher expectations for Justin Timberlake, but I didn't think it was all that good. You know, he had the little tribute to Prince. I thought that would actually go on longer than it did. Um, He jumped into the crowd, which I guess is kind of a dangerous thing to do. I don't know how much security was there uh, when he just ran up. But, I mean, I wasn't that impressed. Now, in fairness to Justin Timberlake, I have also not been able to properly judge or enjoy a halftime show at the Super Bowl when the Patriots are in the Super Bowl. So, uh, especially when they're losing at halftime. Uh, uh, again, I was a mess last night at halftime when they were losing 22-12. to 12. Now, you know, I, I didn't feel as bad as I did when Lady Gaga was performing last year at halftime when they, the Patriots were losing to the Falcons. I didn't feel that bad, but I still was kind of a mess. You know, it's, it, it's tough to trail the Super Bowl at the half. But when you do trail the Super Bowl at the half... And you can't make the big tackle in the first half. And you allow 22 points. And you have Malcolm Butler, who's obviously good enough to be out there on special teams in the second quarter, on the one punt of the game. I'm sorry. At halftime, you have to put Malcolm... You have to make a decision to put Malcolm Butler in the game in the third quarter. You do. Now, maybe something comes out where Malcolm Butler flipped out at halftime. I don't know. Could that be possible? It might be. It might be. I mean, I'm trying to put myself in Malcolm Butler's shoes. And I I think when you look at it from Butler's perspective, you do have to look at the National Anthem. Malcolm Butler during the National Anthem in full uniform, obviously the helmet off, he's standing there, and he's got his hand across his face because he's crying. Malcolm Butler was crying. He was in tears during the National Anthem. Seeing then that Butler not only didn't start the game, then didn't play one single defensive snap the entire game and was benched for the whole game, seeing that, and then going back to him crying at the National Anthem, that tells me that he knew he fucked up and that he let people down 
and that, you know, something happened. Again, the crying during the national anthem tells me something happened. He messed up. But whatever he did, again, punish him for the first half. You need him in the second half. Why don't you go to Malcolm Butler in the second half? It's inexcusable. You have to go to him. And I am as much of a believer in the Patriot way. I I just told you, I believe it's a real thing. It's a major reason why this organization has been so successful. In Bill, we trust. I live and I die by that as a fan. But he fucked up. Belichick fucked up not putting Butler in the second half. He did. And um, they paid for it because they still couldn't make the big defensive plays. And that, to me, is the story here from a Patriots side of things. Number one, the defense couldn't make the big plays. I thought the, the scheme was off. I thought the lack of creativity because they, they didn't put any pressure on Foles with any type of blitzing. I just, I, I thought that was, I thought that was the key. That was the story of the game from a Patriots perspective. The defense, they couldn't get it done. And um, when you're talking about the defense not being able to get it done, the fact that they couldn't go to Malcolm Butler in the second half is, it's inexcusable. And Belichick calls it a football decision. I, I don't believe that for one second. I think this was... Maybe you call it a business decision because that's the way Belichick handles his business, but also a personal decision because Belichick, obviously, I'm, I'm sure whatever Butler did took it a little personally. And I did, did Butler probably take something too far? Yeah, he probably did. But did Belichick then take it too far by not putting him in the game in the second half? Yeah, I think he did. I think Belichick fucked this one up. I think he did. Now, you know, would, would Butler's presence defensively had made a difference? I would have liked I would have liked to find out. I, I wish they could have found out. So that to me is the key. That's it. That's the story of this game from a Patriots perspective. Now, when you get back to the Eagles, number two on my list here, number two on my list is that the Eagles offensively got nuts. And Doug Peterson, specifically, the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Peterson got bananas in this game. It worked out for them. Now, you go for it on fourth down. You know, you're flipping the ball around in the, after the snap. Um, Foles doesn't take the snap. He moves down behind the right tackle, goes out for the pass. Nick Foles, not only did Nick Foles throw for 373 yards, did he throw three touchdowns? And, you know, yeah, he threw an interception. But he had the three touchdowns. He also caught a touchdown. And, uh, you know, it was a fourth down play on top of it. So it was a ballsy, ballsy, ballsy play call. I don't even think they had a name for it. If you saw if you saw it, Peterson, Nick Foles runs over the sideline. Peterson pulls out his, you know, his, his big board there with all the, the plays. He points to a play. He says, let's go to this one. And the one he pointed at was, hey, Foles, go out for a pass. Now, the Patriots tried this. Was it the previous possession or the possession before? They tried it. Brady went out for the pass. It was a little overthrown. It hit his fingertips. I'm yelling at the TV going, why are you getting nuts? Right? Now, from an Eagles perspective, that's that's not a terrible strategy. It's obviously better when it works out for the Eagles. But you look at teams in the past 
that don't beat the Patriots, what are we always saying? We're saying, eh, you know what? They took their foot off the gas. Uh, they didn't stay aggressive. You know, they tried to just kill the clock. They were hoping they could kill as much of the clock as they could to give Brady as little time as possible. And it's funny because as aggressive as the Eagles were, and we're saying now it worked out because they win the game, obviously 41-33, to they did all the right things by staying aggressive and it works out for them. And they still had, they still gave Brady the ball with too much time left. With 2.20 left in the clock in the fourth quarter and the Patriots still had a timeout and the two-minute warning. And I'm sitting there going, we're going to win this game. They're like, we've seen this before. Obviously, Brady fumbles and the game's over. Um, but it's funny because the Eagles stayed aggressive and we're like, well, that's how it's it's got to go. And And the Patriots still had a chance to win. But that just goes to show you that you need to stay aggressive. And and credit to the Eagles. Credit to Doug Peterson. He did. He got nuts. And it worked out for them. It worked out for them. Um, And I guess that brings us to number three on my list is the Patriots' offensive line with two minutes left. You know, you get that touchdown from Ertz, which... By the way, is it, it that's a touchdown, right? I mean, we want that to be a touchdown. The Zach Ertz touchdown at the end, that's a touchdown. And 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 the only thing I was saying during that review, you know, is Ertz catches, turns, takes a step, dives. Yeah, the ball gets loose, but he crosses the goal line with it first, and that's all that should matter. He made a football move in my opinion. That should be a touchdown. The only thing I was thinking when they were reviewing that, I was thinking to myself, you know what? The touchdown before, Corey Clements' third quarter touchdown at the back of the end zone, when they reviewed that, that wasn't a touchdown. Clement did not have possession of that football. And when I'm watching the replays, you know, they show all these different aerial replays, I'm thinking he only got one foot in, the second foot, and hit the white. Then they came back from commercial on the Corey Clement touchdown, and they showed a view that was low. They showed a replay that was low and from behind the end zone. And it was perfect, and you could see Clement didn't have possession at all. He was bobbling the ball the entire time. He didn't get any feet in. I don't know how they kept that a touchdown. I have no clue. I guess the only thing I'm thinking at that point is, well, this is karma. Because, you know, the Jesse James touchdown... That was, that was called back in Pittsburgh in the regular season, which which essentially helped the Patriots to home field advantage, right? Or at least the number one seed in the AFC. Um, you know, they still would have had home field advantage oh, if they were playing Jacksonville. But, you know, the seeding would have been different. They would have played Jacksonville in the divisional round. And, and then who knows? Maybe Pittsburgh won. They'd be going to Pittsburgh. So that Jesse James playing the regular season, the refs overturning that, and saying no touchdown, that was a big play. And it was similar to the Urge touchdown. And the Urge touchdown, I'm thinking to myself, this should be a score. This should be a touchdown. I know they're reviewing it, but maybe they're reviewing it because they're trying to make up for the one they missed. And the one they missed, I thought, was the Corey Clement touchdown in the third quarter at the back of the end zone. Turns out, watching the replays over and over, Clement did not have possession of the ball ever. At no point did Corey Clement have possession of that football. When he hit the ground, then he had possession. Back near the cameraman. That was it. He didn't get any feet in. I do not know how they kept that a touchdown. 
So my thinking was, maybe they're going to give one back to the Patriots. And they're going to even this thing out a little bit. They didn't. Uh, the Ertz touchdown was a touchdown. And, um, you know, you get that. And it was, that was a tough drive. That was a tough drive. Because the Patriots, they scored. And Gronk got a second touchdown. And the Patriots took a lead. It was 33-32 to 32 at that point. Nine minutes left. And then the Eagles have a seven-minute drive. That Zach Ertz touchdown. Um, yeah, the two-point conversion attempt failed. Eagles had a 38-33 lead. But, I mean, you know, before that, I'm thinking, all right, this is where the Patriots, they scored. They took a lead at 33-32. They can make a they, – they're due for a big defensive play, a big defensive stop. Let's go. Eagles drive down. They score. And when they score that touchdown, I'm thinking to myself, and I said it at the Super Bowl party that I was at. I said, Patriots have enough time. They have a two-minute warning. They have a timeout, and they have Tom Brady. And we've seen this before. And the Patriots were moving the ball on the Eagles, especially in the second half. It was happening. It was fairly easy. Uh, There was nothing that I thought could have stopped Tom Brady except for the offensive line blowing it. And that's number three on my list. Patriots offensive line, when they needed to in the big moment, they couldn't block for Brady. They get to Brady. Eagles get to Brady. They force a fumble. And uh, that's it. Because before that fumble, what are we thinking? Was anybody nervous about this game before that fumble? When Ertz scores the touchdown, they're reviewing it. Again, I thought there was a... I had a little hope that maybe they'd even it out knowing that the Corey Clemens touchdown wasn't a touchdown. They'd say, yeah, you know what? It's similar to the Jesse James. This is the rule. No touchdown. But I'm sitting there going, I just I just want the ball back. Even if it's a touchdown, I just want the ball back because Brady has enough time to drive down. In fact, he's got too much time. That's what I'm thinking. And I just felt so confident that they were going to score a touchdown. And, uh... You know, they trailed 38-33 at the time. All you needed was a TD, and you win the game. And then the offensive line blows it. And they get into Brady. That's not on Brady. They're in on him. They force the fumble. Yeah, you end up, you know, forcing the Eagles to kick a field goal, and you get the ball back with a minute left. But, you know, you can't stop the clock. Eagles got, they're just playing guys down at their own 10-yard line, so you know you're not going to score a touchdown. And you get the Hail Mary at the end. Yeah, it got tipped up a little bit, but the game was over. When Tom Brady fumbled, you know, when the offensive line couldn't block for him in that moment where there should have been enough time, where we are so used to Tom Brady winning these games, uh, you're asking the offensive line to, to do their job, and they did not in that moment. And for all the things that we talk about, the defense could, couldn't make a stop for the Patriots. Malcolm Butler, where the fuck was he? Why wasn't he in this game, especially in the second half? Uh... The Eagles getting aggressive. You know, Nick Foles having a day. All those stuff. All those things. All that stuff. You still, the Patriots still had a chance to win. With two minutes left, Tom Brady had the football. So don't tell me the offensive line not doing their job is not a big deal. It is a big deal. They didn't do their job. And because of it, it's a game-changing and a game-ending turnover. And the Philadelphia Eagles... A Super Bowl champions. And this did not end the way I thought it was going to. And, you know, it's tough to watch for me. It's tough to watch Nick Foles with that Super Bowl trophy, with that Lombardi trophy. It is. 
You know, it is. And um, we all have a bad taste in our mouths today here in New England because we don't have any answers on Malcolm Butler. We're not going to get him from Bill Belichick. I don't know if we'll get him from Malcolm Butler yet. At some point, we'll get it because I don't think it was a football decision. Like, I don't think it was a game plan decision like Bill Belichick calls it. And um, if it wasn't a game plan decision, like if it was a punishment-based decision, which I, I think it had to have been, we'll find out. You know, Malcolm Butler, his future, the Patriots could franchise tag him, but if you don't want to play him in the Super Bowl, why would you want to franchise tag him? So that would make sense, unless they do it with the purpose of trading him. And maybe because of all that, Malcolm Butler and his people keep their mouths shut on what actually happened until he's officially with another team. But I mean, you can't expect Butler to be on this team next year. And I guess that brings us to what's next for both of these teams. What's next? And and what's the, I mean, what team has a more intriguing storyline this offseason? The Eagles have an intriguing storyline, right? What's their storyline? Their storyline is they have a quarterback that just had a money game in the NFC Championship against one of the best defenses in football and then had a money game in the Super Bowl and won you a Super Bowl by putting up 41 points against the New England Patriots. They didn't just win a Super Bowl. They beat the Patriots, and that's saying something. And they didn't beat the Patriots by throwing the ball up and having some crazy... Uh, dramatic, lucky catch. You know, they didn't get that Tyree catch. They didn't get the Manningham grab. You know, they didn't, they didn't get all the luck. They got aggressive, and they executed. And Nick Foles was a major part of that. And so that's an intriguing storyline because the Eagles are not going to stick with him. They're not going to stick with him. Here's the quote from Doug Peterson. I have... I have no idea where he gets off even discussing Carson Wentz. If if you're Doug Peterson after this game, I mean, you get questions about the quarterback situation. Can you let Nick Foles have his fucking moment before you start answering questions about Carson Wentz? Holy shit. Here's the quote from Doug Peterson. He was asked, he said, quote, I had a chance to talk to Carson actually on the field, on the podium last night after the game. I told him to take this in. Enjoy this moment. He's a great quarterback, and he's a big reason. I told him you're a big, big part of why this team won this championship, won this game. I told him that hopefully we'll be back in this game with him leading the way. End quote. That's Peterson today. Now, I don't have a problem with Peterson saying that to Wentz, because obviously Wentz is their guy moving forward, but I do have a problem with Peterson telling the media about it today. Like, you don't have to tell the media that that's the conversation you're having with Wentz on the podium as the guy next to you just won you a fucking Super Bowl. Like, I have a problem with that. And if I'm Nick Foles and I read this, I would not like that. You can say all you want about Nick Foles. He seems like such a good guy, and he probably is. He pr- he looks like he, he is a good guy. He's probably a great guy. But you could be the best guy in the world, and you still have pride in what you do. And... You still have, you know, some type of personality characteristic that, that you know, you tell yourself you're one of the best. You can do this. Like, he obviously has confidence in what he does. 
And so if you're Nick Foles and you're celebrating a Super Bowl and you have to read a quote from your coach and find out that as you're hoisting that Lombardi trophy and you're being named Super Bowl MVP, your coach is talking to Carson Wentz about how he can't wait to get to this podium with Wentz. You know, that would piss me off if I'm Nick Foles. It would. That would piss me off. So Peterson doesn't have to talk about that. Um, I think that's a bad decision. I don't know if that's the alcohol talking. Maybe he was boozing a little bit after this one last night, and he's feeling it still today. I have no idea. But that would piss me off if I'm Nick Foles. Now, they're not going to stick with Foles. Foles is going to go somewhere else. He's going to get traded. Where to? I don't know. That's for another day. But that's the Eagles storyline now, looking ahead to the offseason. For the Patriots... Just as intriguing, probably even more intriguing. They got a lot of shit going on. Malcolm Butler is just the beginning. Malcolm Butler is just the beginning. Because you talk about Butler, then you got to talk about, well, number one is Belichick Brady. Because these are the questions that are asked. I think Brady's a little pissed off, continuing to be asked about whether or not he's going to play next year. The guy's going to play next year. Can we stop asking him that question? Like, like, what are we doing with our questions to Tom Brady? Do we have nothing else to ask the guy? You, you think that's a good question? Uh, Tom, will you play next year? Uh, yeah, I think he's going to play next year. You fucking fool. How did you get a media pass, one, two? Uh, you know, how stupid are you? Tom Brady's going to play next year. Okay, so stop asking him that question. But... Bill Belichick, you know, this, we go back to the Seth Wickersham report, the Jimmy Garoppolo trade, the relationship between uh, Belichick and Alex Guerrero, the relationship between Belichick and Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft. What does Bill Belichick want to do? And, um, you know, he's got to answer this question. I, I think the question makes a little bit more sense for Belichick than it does Brady, but that, that doesn't mean I think it makes sense to ask it. It makes more sense for Belichick than Brady, but that doesn't mean I think it makes sense. Belichick's going to coach next year for the New England Patriots. The Patriots today are the favorites to win next year's Super Bowl, Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta. They're going to be getting Julian Edelman back. I got a feeling that Belichick is going to do something defensively. Patricia's leaving, all right? Matt Patricia's going to Detroit. We're waiting on Josh McDaniels. Reports. I mean, and look, this stuff is all fluid. So if things change by the time you listen to this podcast, I'm recording here uh, early on Monday, February 5th. So things are going to change. And I apologize if they change and y'all listening to this. And, and this show isn't up to speed. We record Mondays and Thursdays. And we might hear some new stuff this week. So keep that in mind. But as I'm recording this, McDaniels, there are reports that Josh McDaniels might not go to Indianapolis after all. Now, that scares me a little bit with regards to Bill Belichick's future because the only thing I can think of is that McDaniels, one of two things. Either one, McDaniels has been told that Belichick is is ready to walk away and McDaniels doesn't want to walk away from the opportunity to be the next man up in that spot, right? You know how they love the next man up. I think the same thing goes for the coaching staff. And maybe McDaniels doesn't want to walk away from the opportunity of the potential to not just stay in New England and, and what he's accustomed to, but, but also taking over as the head coach, whether it's this offseason, next offseason, or whatever, right? That scares me a little bit, that maybe McDaniels might be thinking of one sticking around because 
he's talking with Belichick. I'm hearing something about Belichick leaving, and and that scares me a little bit. The other thing would be, and again, as I'm recording this, Pro Football Talk reported pregame at the Super Bowl that McDaniels had not told the Patriots he was leaving, which is a little strange. You would think he'd already tell them. Um, so the other thing I'm thinking is that, and this goes back to something I said about McDaniels a month ago and Patricia, like if I'm McDaniels and Patricia is gone and you know that if I'm McDaniels, I walk into Robert Kraft's office and I say, here's a check. Let me know how much you think I'm worth and I'll stay as your offensive coordinator. And I'll be here until Bill Belichick leaves, whenever that is. But put it down on that check right there. Because I do think that's what McDaniels, from a business perspective, has some leverage. If Patricia is leaving and you get all this tension that they're talking about behind the scenes, if you're Josh McDaniels, from a business perspective, it is a very wise business move to take advantage of this by going to Robert Kraft and saying, hey, you know what? I'm getting offers. I'm ready to leave. But money talks. And there is a price that you might get me thinking about not taking another head coaching job. Right? So maybe that's it. Maybe the Patriots said, we can't afford to lose both McDaniels and Patricia. Here's a number. Would you stick around for this number? If we sign this check right now. And maybe he would. Maybe there's a number there that McDaniels couldn't walk away from. Also knowing that maybe there's a timetable with Belichick. Um, it's possible. It's very possible. But, uh, you know, these are questions that we're going to have with this Patriots organization. Now, there's a report, again, as I'm recording this today, that, you know, the Patriots are ready to maybe bring in a new defensive coordinator. After Patricia. I mean, when I look at the defense, again, I think of Bill Belichick. Regardless of who's in that position, and he has the title defensive coordinator. They do a lot of stuff, but I still think Bill Belichick is very much involved in the defensive game plan. I do. Um, he's a defensive guy. So, you know, but these are all questions people are going to have. Oh, can the Patriots get back if they lose both Patricia and McDaniels and maybe somebody else and all the tension, right? And, and, and Malcolm Butler, maybe they'll get rid of him. And maybe there's some players in that locker room question Bill, questioning Bill Belichick. And, and, and you know what? It sounds like it. I mean, it sounds like it. I mean, Malcolm Butler's question of Belichick, his quote to Mike Reese was, they gave up on me. He said, I could have changed that game. So Butler, you know, again, I don't think Butler's going to gonna be, be around next year. I don't know how you could think that. Um, you had Eric Rowe said the Malcolm Butler punishment or, what again, I say punishment. They're saying football decision, game plan decision. Eric Rowe said it wasn't until kickoff, right before kickoff, that they found out Butler wasn't going to be part of the game plan and wasn't going to play. Um, Stephon Gilmore said, quote, we found out when y'all found out. And we found out. And that's what Gilmore said. Gilmore said they found out, quote, when y'all found out, end quote. And when we all found out was... You know, as the game began and we didn't see Butler start, and it's like, all right, Butler didn't start. All right, Butler didn't play the second possession. Whoa, Butler hasn't played the whole first half. Butler's not going to play in this entire game. 
So we found out at the beginning of the game. Some Patriots are saying they found out at the beginning of the game. Could there be some tension from some defensive players questioning the coach now? Probably. Probably. But I, I don't know how much longer that lingers. Because at the end of the day, the Patriots are still, again, the favorites to win next year's Super Bowl. There's a reason for it. Brady's still the quarterback. He's the MVP. Um, and I don't see him falling off a cliff next year. I think the Patriots are going to be pretty damn good next year. And so anybody who wants to come out and publicly question Bill Belichick, well, those guys might not be around next year anyways to create tension. Um, but... The other question now, and this is going from the post game, is coming from Rob Gronkowski. Gronk teased retirement after this game. He teased retirement. And I have the audio for you. Now, I'll react to the audio in a second, but I did read somewhere on Twitter before the game, somebody was tweeting, I don't even know who, and it might have even been a joke, to be quite honest with you, but they... They, they tweeted out that, well, maybe Gronk might retire after this game. And I looked at it, and I laughed, and I couldn't even find it after the game. And I still can't find it today, but I know I read it somewhere. Again, I don't know if there was someone messing around. Because you had a tweet earlier in the day from, who was it, ESPN, Diana Russolini, or whatever the fuck her name is. Like, just a ho- I, it's just a horse shit tweet. I tweeted out, it's a horse shit tweet. Diana Russolini, or whatever, whatever her stupid name is. She tweeted out, she got nuts on Twitter, right? And she's like, well, if things are being said that if, if the Patriots win, it could be the last game for Brady and Belichick, and what a scene that would be on the podium. I mean, the tweet didn't even make sense. And then she backtracked, and she's like, oh, that's not what I meant. Uh, what did you mean? Like, we live in a, it's a horseshit tweet, but that's the sports media world that we live in, where you can tweet something, Okay, you can take an opinion based on certain perceptions and theories that have been thrown out there and you can create your own tweet that kind of comes off as a fact and you can word it in a way where you can backtrack and say, no, I was just throwing my opinion. It's the sports media where we live in. And you know what? She got attention. She probably got everything she wanted. Um... But that's, again, that's where we stand with the sports media landscape. You can tweet whatever you want, and you can say whatever you want, and um, you don't have to get it right, (laughs) right? You you don't have to get things right in 2018 when it comes to sports media. You can just use sources, and you can take theories, and you can turn them into your own little facts in your own little world, and you tweet that out, and... Then you can just apologize on Twitter and everything's okay. And still have a job if you're Diana Russolini. I don't even know if that's her name. Something like that. But uh, she tweeted something. And I don't know if somebody was using that tweet and throwing out a joke and saying, oh yeah, and Gronk's going to retire too. Well, after the game, Rob Gronkowski was asked if he was going to consider retirement. Here's Rob Gronkowski post-game answering the question about potential retirement. I, I don't know how you heard that, but I mean, I'm definitely going to look at my future, for sure. I'm going to sit down the next couple of weeks and uh, see where I'm at. Rob, what would make you retire? I'm, I'm not ready for that, these type of questions right now. I mean, I'm just going to uh, sit down, reflect on the season, uh, 
proud to talk to my teammates. Uh, we fought all year long, all the receivers, running backs, linemen. I mean, we put we put all the work in together. So um, I'm just going to reflect on the season. Proud of the boys. So there you go. That's Gronk. And um, I'll tell you this. He, what's he, 28, 29 years old? Gronk is not retiring. He's under contract for the next two seasons. Gronk is not retiring. And, and he knows he's not retiring. Okay? And when you're asked about retirement after the Super Bowl, I, I know it's an emotional time. You don't know how to answer questions like that. Gronk should, but that's a question Gronk should probably say, why would I retire? Like, and and because he didn't answer it like that, people are, are now wondering what the future holds for Rob Gronkowski in the NFL. I will tell you this. Gronk is not retiring. He's not. He's not going to retire. All I needed to hear was Gronk at the beginning. The first thing that he says. The first thing that Gronk says. We'll play one more time. The, listen to the first thing that Gronk says. I, I don't know how you heard that. I don't know how you heard that. Um, I just feel like when he says, I don't know how you heard that, I start thinking about the tweet that I read, and I start thinking that Gronk maybe leaked that out. Like there was a, there was a purpose to that tweet from somebody. I feel like Gronk's playing the negotiation game right now. That's what I think this is. I don't think he's retiring. This is a retirement tease for something to go along with his contract. He knows all the things that he's done. He knows the numbers he's put up. He knows how good he is. And he wants to be fairly compensated for that. And, um, I mean, let's face it. Gronk has an argument to be one of the highest paid players in the game. And the fact of the matter is, he's not right now. And so, we know Gronk's a businessman. We know his family is a business family. And we know there is a method to their madness. As sometimes, as dumb as Gronk sometimes looks and sounds, he's not He's not that dumb. And his family's not stupid. And they got a nice little business going for him. But I got news for that family. We all know what the real moneymaker is for the family, and it's Rob Gronkowski. It's not Chris Gronkowski with the ice shaker or whatever else they're doing, the Gronk Fitness. It's Rob Gronkowski, not just in the NFL, but as a superstar in the NFL, okay? That's their moneymaker. Because everything else picks up steam based on that. The rest of their little businesses are only relevant because Rob Gronkowski is a superstar in the NFL. To leave that superstar status and just walk away from the game as one of the best players and most dominant players in the game, would not be a very good business decision. However, being the businessmen that they are, they know they're not going to walk away, but they're going to say some things and do some things this offseason that going to lead someone like myself to believe that they're not happy about the contract and they're going to tease retirement. I think he's teasing it on purpose. I think he answered it in such a way where... The business side kicked in last night all of a sudden, post-game. I believe that. Two phenomenal touchdown catches. Um, you know, I I think he's taken advantage of the stage that he was on, and he opens it up and says, I, I don't know where you heard that. I don't know where you, where you saw that. Um, really? You don't know where we saw it. 
well, you're not really doing anything to bury that right now. You're saying, oh, I'm going to think about things. Deep down inside, there's nothing for him to think about. Rob Gronkowski is going to play football next year, but um, he wants a better contract. So part of maybe trying to get that better contract is maybe teasing retirement. I'm not telling you it's going to work. I'm telling you it's a strategy it looks like they're going to take. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that situation. Look, I don't think Ronk's going to retire, but I do think it sounds like he's going to tease retirement because he's unhappy with the contract. That's my theory on that. But uh, it's another storyline to watch out for. And, and you know, the Patriots, they're going to get Edelman back next year. They obviously missed Edelman. They obviously missed Brandon Cooks going down in this game with the head injury, with the, I guess we'll call it a concussion. He got rocked. But I just, again, I you scored 33 points. Your quarterback throws for 500-plus yards. And he throws three touchdowns, no interceptions. You should win that game. This game came down to the Patriots' defense from the players on the field not executing, not being able to come up with the big plays, from the coaching staff and the game plan, especially in the second half, not creating any type of um, scheme that would get to the quarterback, and the personnel that the coaching staff decided to go with by benching Malcolm Butler. This is on the defense. And the coach and Bill that I trust, he is not going to escape this without some some blame, with, with some piece of the blame pie. The finger can be pointed at Bill Belichick. Uh, I just thought it was an awful decision to not at least go with Butler in the second half. Make your Patriot way... Um, you know, make that statement in the first half. Bench him, fine. You're down 22-12 at halftime. You know, Justin Timberlake puts on a half-hour performance. He's taking selfies in the crowd. Use that time and get together and go, here's what we need to do. But Malcolm Butler, you're in the second half. I don't, I don't know why that didn't happen. And because that didn't happen, you know, it was a, it was a different look. And it was, it was a look that the Eagles wanted to see. You gave the Eagles what they wanted for an entire game. And that's not a good Super Bowl strategy. So, um, and, and then on top of that, when it came down to the, to, the, to the two-minute drill, when you can't protect the quarterback in that situation, bad things will happen. And they picked the worst time to not protect the quarterback. And something that we were all used to, something that I expected to happen, didn't. And that was Brady leading him down on the final drive and scoring and winning a Super Bowl. And instead, the Philadelphia Eagles with a team hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Nick Foles is the MVP of the Super Bowl. And we move on to the offseason wondering what if with Malcolm Butler, but also what's to come with Butler, with Gronk, with the coordinators, with Brady, and Belichick, with Kraft. The entire organization. Again, the Patriots right now are favorites to win next year's Super Bowl. I expect the Patriots to win their division next year. I don't care if Kirk Cousins comes to the AFC East or not. I don't care if Nick Foles comes to the AFC East. It's possible. I mean, it's possible you see... It's possible you see Foles and Cousins in the AFC East. Wouldn't that be something? 
Wouldn't that be something? But I'm telling you, I'd still put my money on the Patriots winning the division. And, uh, you know, I think this time next year, it is very likely, I don't mean to sound spoiled, I don't mean to sound like a pompous asshole, but it's true. Next year at this time, it is likely the Patriots are once again in this position to have a chance to win a Super Bowl. I'm just telling you that. And, um, you know, you look back at this one and you think, well, what can you do differently to make sure next year, or who knows, the year after that, it's a different outcome? Well, first and foremost, fix the defense. Fix the defense. From a, from a coaching perspective, personnel decisions, game plan decisions, but also, uh, you know, just some of the offseason decisions with acquisitions as well and moves that you make. We'll see how it all plays out. we got a, a lot of time to talk about it. But my raw reaction, obviously not in a good mood. Super Bowl loss, I, I, you know, I can't tell you this is a new feeling because, you know, I remember the, the two Giants Super Bowl losses. I mean, I remember the, the loss to Green Bay in 97 because I was a huge Drew Bledsoe fan. You know, that was tough to stomach. Uh, but we've, we've experienced what it feels like to lose Super Bowls. We've experienced what it feels like to win them. I guess if you want me to take a glass half full approach, it would be once again that the Patriots, I, I, I would put my money on them bouncing back, being back in the postseason next year, being back in the playoffs and having another shot to get to the Super Bowl, and if they do, have another shot to win it. I put my money on that. Should make you feel a little better. But in the short term, and what's the most recent result? Well, that's a Super Bowl loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. Tip of the captain, Nick Foles. Doug Peterson for executing and playing an aggressive style. That's obviously the style you need to play to beat the Patriots. And they got the big turnover when they needed it. And, um... They're Super Bowl champs, and the Patriots are not. And now we move on. And with that moving on, I have to announce the six people that actually won the prop contest. We had a pick six. We called it the pick six Super Bowl prop contest. And I told you you had to beat me. I gave you six props. How long will it take Pink to sing the national anthem? The over-under on that was two minutes. The result of the coin toss, heads or tails. Which team will score first, Eagles or Patriots? Will Brady throw an interception in the game, yes or no? Who will record more rushing yards, Jay Ajayi or Deion Lewis? And how many times will Giselle be shown on TV during the broadcast of the game? You had to beat me. We had 35 entries. Out of the 35, six people beat me. Now, a good amount of people tied me. I got three right. The ones I got right, I had the coin toss result. I picked heads. It was heads. I had, will Tom Brady throw an interception? I said, no, it was no. And I had, how many times will Giselle be shown on TV? The over-under was one and a half. I took the over. I think they showed her like four times. So a good amount of people had three correct with me. You don't win if you had the same amount. You had to beat me. And the winner, if you beat me, you get a free Picard Club t-shirt. I will be sending you that in the mail. And uh, there's six people who won. 
I will be tweeting you, trying to get your email, your address. So make sure you respond to me. But if you listen to this, here are the six winners. And I'm reading their Twitter accounts and some, you know, some wacky Twitter account names. At Rooster Codburn. At Dr. Hutlunch. At Paul DeAngelis23. At Raf All Day. At Hirsch19. And at Joey Gloucester. So those are the six that beat me in the pick six Super Bowl prop bet challenge. Congratulations to you. And when it comes to my own personal picks, I obviously got the game wrong uh, with picks pick. I took the Patriots minus four. So we end the season on a bad note all around. But uh, congrats to those who won a free Picard Club t-shirt. Those who didn't win and still want to purchase a t-shirt, I put the link on my Twitter account. You can go to their website, tpublic.com, to buy a Picard Club t-shirt. That said, uh, we still have some things going on here in the next couple weeks. We got we got the Olympics, right? We got the Olympics. They begin this week, right? The Olympics. Um, today is truck day, believe it or not. The Red Sox truck officially leaves Boston to head to spring training. I actually once covered a truck day. And, uh, you know, don't ever say I didn't put in my time because I covered a fucking truck day. So I put in my time. I'm, I, I don't want to hear anything about truck day, though, so I won't continue to talk about it. So we get Olympics. I guess spring training, you could say, is right around the corner later this month where everybody reports. And then, you know, next thing you know, you got March Madness. Uh, I mean, what else am I missing? Stanley Cup playoffs, NBA. Oh, that's right. This week. The NBA trade deadline is this week, this Thursday. So we'll wait till the deadline ends on Thursday to drop the next podcast. Uh, I'll try to bring in an NBA guest. We'll try to bring in some NFL guests. I've been, I haven't really done, I didn't really do many NFL guests during the season. And, you know, I mean, the reason for it is because we made so many picks. You know, this show you could say was, was more pick friendly when I say Picks, I mean, prediction-friendly. Um, but, you know, look, it was an exciting year. And anytime the Patriots go to the Super Bowl, it's an exciting year. You wish We wish the result was different. It wasn't. But I'm sure the offseason will be busy. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of things and a lot of reports and a lot of rumors that we'll talk about, I'll react to. So stick with me for football coverage throughout the offseason. But also NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball. I mean... If something crazy happens in the Olympics, I'll get into that a little bit. Maybe we'll do some fun stuff with that. But uh, get this show whenever you want at dannypicard.com. Also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, the Podcast One Network, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. It's a depressing day here in New England. But uh, thanks for joining me. Enjoy the rest of your week. And I'll be back on Thursday to react to the NBA trade deadline. What will the Celtics do? What moves will be made around the NBA? Will the Cavaliers make a move? And uh, will some top draft picks be traded? We'll find out. And when we do, I'll react to it all on Thursday's show. I'm out. Talk to you then. <laughs>